Welcome to the Small Business Surgeon Podcast, the show where we dissect the businesses of top producers, examine their growth strategies, and share with you the bare bones of their success. I am your host, Samuel Smith, and I'm glad you're here. Let's operate. Hey guys, what's up? Welcome to this week's episode of the Small Business Surgeon Podcast. Guys, I got a special treat for you today. Um, I had a guest jump on at the last minute and we've shuffled him around to get an interview because he's a very busy man. Um, He is the co-founder and CEO of GreenPal. This is a a massive mobile app that connects lawn care professionals with homeowners. I'm super excited to bring him on the show and share his journey. Guys, please welcome Brian Clayton. Brian, nice to have you, man. Samuel, thanks for having me on your show, buddy. Great to be here. <laughs> Dude, it's great. And I, I, I just, I get these emails all the time from, from people. Um, hey, come check out this entrepreneur. Come check out that one. Put them on your show. And yours just stuck out to me, man. Uh, entrepreneur Magazine, you've got over 300,000 active users on your app. You're doing over $20 million a year in sales. You, you are like just the, the picture of the successful entrepreneur that I love to interview. Man, before we get going on that, Tell me who Brian Clayton is, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I appreciate that intro. That's that, that's that's an awesome intro. Uh, so yeah, I'm I'm CEO, co-founder of GreenPal. GreenPal is like the Uber for lawn mowing. So if you're a homeowner and need your lawn mowed, rather than like calling around on Craigslist or Facebook or Googling, you just download the GreenPal app. You pop your address in. You get a few quotes for free, and you can hire one if you want, and work for them, work with them for the whole season, right on the app. You pay them and schedule them right on the app. So it's kind of like you push a button and get the grass cut. Uh, I guess you could say GreenPal is a ten-year overnight success. My two <laughs> co-founders and I have been at this for almost a decade, nice. and now we are uh, doing multiple eight figures a year in revenue, profitable, several hundred thousand people using the app. But it didn't start out that way. The first three or four years of building this marketplace and building the app were really, really tough. But we kind of stuck it out. And, and I think uh, the only reason we're still here is because we never gave up. <laughs> that's, that's like 99% of the entrepreneurs I know. The only reason they succeeded is because they just were too stubborn to quit. Yeah. Man, how, how on earth did you come up with an idea for an app for lawnmowing services? Was it based out of necessity? I think when you are inventing a new product from scratch, you're starting a new app, a new piece of technology, which usually if you're start, if you're in a tech startup, you're inventing something brand new. I think it can uh, like authenticity can be a competitive advantage. And it mm-hmm. certainly was for me. I, before GreenPal had a landscaping business. I, I started a lawn mowing business in high school and uh, kept mowing grass through high school and through college. And then uh, after college, I made a little business plan and over a 15 year period of time, ended up building one of the largest landscaping businesses in the Southeast. Oh, wow. uh, and, and uh, you know, getting it over a uh, hundred employees and it was doing around $10 million a year in revenue. And then it was acquired uh, mm-hmm. by one of the largest landscaping companies in the United States. So took a, a lawn mowing business just from me and a push mower to me and 150 people. You know, I learned everything there was to learn about that industry. And so right, when I right. sold that business, I, I was able to take some time off. I took like a year off and traveled and quite frankly, I got bored. And I thought, well, what am I going to do with my life now? I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm wired to want to be in the game. I'm wired to love business. And I thought, well, you know, 
I see what Uber and Airbnb and Lyft and some other apps are doing for real world transactions. And I thought, you know, maybe an app can exist for the industry I know. And uh, I thought, well, how hard can it be? Recruited two <laughs> co-founders and uh, and we built the first version of GreenPal. And and luckily I was naive. I, I think it was uh, it was naivete as an asset. Uh, I didn't know what I didn't know. And if I had known how hard it was going to be, I never would have done it. But uh, I got it, got into the game and, and uh, we were quickly confronted with how difficult it is to build a, a new piece of software, how to build a marketplace, how to make real world experiences uh, as easy as pushing a button. But we just stuck it out and, and celebrated the little small wins. And little by little, we were able to grow the marketplace now nationwide in the United States. Dude, that, that's just incredible. I want to backtrack because there's just questions pouring out of my head that I want to want to talk to you about. Obviously, uh, especially in the app creation side and the technology side, which I think a lot of guys are going to be interested in. But I'm more interested in that in that late teens, early twenties, because I don't think there was many of us that didn't mow yards for money um, as a teenager. So, what was that journey like from from going from you? As your teenager, you're coming out of college, and now I'm like, all right, I'm going to hire two employees. I'm going to hire ten employees. One of my biggest questions in the arena is is how do you pick up guys that want to mow yards and make a profitable business out of it? Yeah, you know, one thing about like business ownership and the journey of of founding a business from scratch is that uh, you know looking back it's almost like a video game you just you, you have one level at mm -hmm. a time and i think what holds a lot of people back is like they're worried about bowser when they're on like level one or two and it's like the reality <laughs> is just get through level one throw up the flag and then move on to level two and and that's kind of how it shaped up for me you know when i was mowing yards uh i was literally mowing the yards for like the first five or six years of that right. business but uh but i would try to figure out ways to 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 duplicate myself you know mm -hmm. the the hiring my first employee in that first company was one of the hardest kind of moments in in 22 years of business because you're effectively in one decision doubling your company you're doubling your business and it's, yeah and it's, and it's difficult yeah. and and i had to learn a lot you know kind of on the fly about you know things like like human psychology why would somebody want to come work with with me versus my competitors and and what makes people tick and and how do i align the incentives of of that person working with me to, to help them get what they want and these were all things that i had to learn you know just through trial and error in in, in those days you know this they, is they teach the, that now but they didn't teach that in the 90s did they yeah late 90s <laughs> early 2000s you know there wasn't podcast there wasn't youtube yeah. university there yeah. wasn't a lot of uh, material about this stuff so it was a lot of trial and error and these days you know entrepreneurship, starting a business is more approachable than ever. I think people say it's easier than ever. I think easy is kind of a mislabeling. Mm, it's still yeah. very hard, mm -hmm. but it's more approachable than it's ever been. And uh, in those days, you know, you didn't have a lot of the resources that we have today. So I kind of had to learn it by doing it every wrong way first and then figuring out the right way to do it. Dude, that, that so many of us have that same story. It's like our successes are built on a never ending foundation of failure. You just figure out how to solve the next problem before it becomes another one. Man, Brian, I barely know you, buddy. Can you give me an example of one mistake or failure that you made in those early days and what you experienced and what you took from it? Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. Like success is a lousy teacher. The only way you learn is by doing stuff wrong. And, and one thing that's made sense to me is you don't, you don't learn, then start. You start, then learn. Mm, yes. And I think, a, yes. I think a lot of founders, a lot of business owners, they want to like, 
just pour over the books and pour over the online courses and like spend a year writing a business plan. And like, really, you just need to like close the gap between whatever it is getting started and getting a, a product or service in the hands of your customer, then start learning, then start iterating and adjusting along the way. Yeah. You need, you need to fill your head with knowledge. You need to read, you need to be reading books. You need to be watching stuff on YouTube. You need to be going to conferences. You need to be working on yourself, but the close, the sooner you can get into the game, the better. And for me, that's, that's how it's played out for the last 20 years. Like, you know, I, I just, I get in there, I try some stuff. It doesn't work. I figure it out. Okay. You know, I, I try to be malleable and I try to get feedback from customers and employees. And I try to put that to work, not because I'm some great coachable guy, but I've, I've kind of made the connection that, that that's the key, that yeah, that's the yeah. answer. Like, like that's, that's what's <laughs> going to lead me down the right path. Absolutely. And, and, and uh, for me, you know, whether it be, you know, my first employee quitting after day two or, <laughs> or, or losing, losing my first uh, commercial like contract. It took me a year to get, you know, trying to learn from those failures and adjusting the service, adjusting the product, adjusting the business and making it better and better and better is how you, how you kind of forge your way through those early years. And then once you got it dialed in, then it's kind of like you're on a racetrack, you know, and you're on a straightaway. You need to push the gas. Yeah. But in those yeah. early days, you're, you're trying to figure it out. You're trying to figure out what is the what do the routines look like? What do the processes look like? And then and then you can scale that. I say, you know, you should nail it, then scale it. Oh, I like and, that. Uh, and, like that, that. Yeah. and that goes for everything, every level of business. And it takes a long time to figure this stuff out. you got to be patient. Yeah. And uh, lessons, man. I, I'm lucky now that I have wonderful mentors that are walking me through this. But, you know, one common thread is, you know, in school, you get the lesson first and, and, and then you get to take the test. Whereas as the entrepreneur, you get to take the test and then you get to extrapolate the lesson from that test. So I think that's. Yeah. <laughs> no. And, and, uh, you know, nobody teaches us how to sell. Nobody teaches us how to manage. Nobody teaches us leadership. Nobody teaches us these skills that you're going to need in business. Basic bookkeeping, for example, these are all things you're going to have to learn on the fly. And I, and I say there's three things you, you're going to be doing in your business. You're going to be working in the business. Mm -hmm. You know, for me, it was literally mowing the yards. You're yeah. going to be working on the business, mm -hmm. developing the systems and processes and routines and, and, and the standard operating procedures. And then you're going to be working on yourself. So in the business, on the business and on yourself. And man, the reality is for me, it's a seven day a week thing. It always has been. Oh, yeah. It never switches off. Um, I, the way I scale it now or the way I structure it now is I know I've got to work on all those things. So I just put them on my agenda every day yep. and I still work on weekends. It's just my, my work hours are reduced and my, my self-improvement hours are increased. That's um, right. But a lot of entrepreneurs, especially, you know, the ones I'm reaching out to with this show, they forget that most critical part of you, you can't be successful in business unless you're successful in yourself. And now most of my guys are going to be watching this, uh, listening to this on, uh, on, on iTunes, um, but there are some watching on video. But for the ones that can't, you are in what appears to be amazing shape. Right? <laughs> so No, man, I got a long way to go, but I appreciate that. Thank was, you. <laughs> was, there a, was there a point in your business as an entrepreneur where you reached a, a, a crossroads and you said, if I'm going to go any further than this, I've got to start taking care of myself. I mean, for me, that was about, four and a half years ago and you know i horrifically overweight and was focused just on the business was there any kind of point in your business where you hit that and, and started making that that gym and that personal self-care priority yeah it's a great question and and you know really the reality is is you are your business the business is an extension of you who you are and it's like scaffolding around you mm -hmm. 
And uh, if you're sloppy, if, if you don't feel good, if you have no energy, <laughs> that is going to bleed <laughs> into your business. And, and, and to your point, it hit me about year three of starting this company. Uh, my, my co-founders and I, we didn't have any employees or freelancers. It was just us doing all the work, oh, wow. writing, the, okay. writing the code, designing the software, doing the, the, the marketing, doing the PR. Literally, like it was seven days a week and, and we had no money. And we were living on like ramen noodles and snack foods and just garbage food seven days a week. And, and I think I ballooned to like 280. Oh, wow. 200, 280 wow. pounds. Yeah. And uh, it just hit me one day. I was like, man, I feel terrible. I look terrible. Um, and, and something's got to give. And, and my co-founder said, well, you know, uh, I'm not as bad. He wasn't as bad shape as me, but he's like, you know, I, I kind of feel the same way. And I'm going to, I am going to sign up for the marathon, which was in three months. Oh, wow. And, and I had never ran longer than a mile in my life. And, uh, we, so we signed up for the marathon and, and we did the training and long story short, we were both able to complete it. And as I'm training and running this marathon, I'm noticing a lot of parallels between business and, ma and marathon training, mm -hmm. you know, things like, like consistency, like this, when you don't want to get up in the morning, you just have to, you got to get yeah. that training done yeah. and, and it, and it builds on itself. And, and, and like the momentum of just con continuing to like push forward, you know, you see these goofy people uh, out on the street, you know, running in place at an intersection yeah. and you're like, you're like, why are they doing that? And what you don't realize is it hurts more to stop mm -hmm. when you're on like mile 15 than it is to run in place and keep going. And business is a lot, is a, is a, is a, is a lot like that. You have to keep pushing forward even through the hard times because it's a lot diff more difficult to, to stop and start again. And in fact, yeah. you may not start again. Exactly. And so, and so yeah. I was like learning all this stuff as I was, you know, training for this thing. And then I got in better shape. I, I, I lost like, lost like 60 pounds in, in, in four or five months. And, and, uh, and, and I felt better and I had more energy and I was able to get done in like seven hours, what took me 12. And, right, right. and I started to notice the parallels of you really do have to take care of your vessel as part of like everything else that you have to do when it comes to winning at business. Cause if you feel like crap, your business is going to operate like crap. Man, I could say that better. I, I just wish it didn't take me 39 years to discover it. I've, I've only been living this way like two years. I was, I was 35 when, when, when yeah. I had this hard lesson and I thought, uh, you know, that was so hard. I never want to do that again. And, uh, and so I've been able to maintain pretty good, although I'm, I'm probably 10 pounds heavy right now. So you, you always want to, you always want to go further and, and be better. <laughs> no, I hear that dude. So like, I really want to take a, a look and, and a little bit of a dive into what the process was like writing an app and bringing it to market because until you got to that point, now, yes, you, you were very successful, but you were very successful in your green space, in your particular field. And, you know, yeah, you took a year off and had some money in the bank, but that's a huge skill set shift to go from owning a productive yard company uh, and selling it for, for eight figures and then completely pivot and adjust to actually starting an app, writing it from scratch. What was that process like? And how in the hell did you manage to stay motivated through three years of struggle? Yeah, it, uh, it was a big shift, one that I was not prepared for, one that I was naive about. And, and so, you, you know, I, I sold that company and running that business. The first company was like 150 people. It was organized chaos every day. And I <laughs> got that done. And, and it's selling the company was like one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. And after I got that done, I thought, 
wow, you know, this, uh, I know everything there is to know about business. And now I want to <laughs> maybe, maybe I'll start another company, but I want to start a software business because that'll be easier. And oh, yeah. boy, I didn't know what I didn't know. And, and yeah. so, uh, there's a lot of things that kind of confront you. Um, there's a difference between building a, a successful company of, uh, in a known and existing industry versus mm-hmm. inventing a brand new product from scratch right. that does not exist. Those are really two different things. Um, and I didn't know the difference between the two until I was confronted with, wow, I'm really kind of inventing something new here. And this is a lot harder on top of everything that you have to do to like run a su- su- successful business. I'm right. also having to like forge my way through the darkness of not even knowing what the hell we're doing (laughs) and the only thing that's guiding me through it is like customer feedback of which i have none and so it's 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 really really challenging and and uh the way we got through it was was we just focus on the small little little wins because i knew Mm -hmm. if if we could just move the number that it would compound it may take five years but i knew if we could just if we could get 10 people to use it I know we can get a hundred and if yep. we can get a hundred, I know we can eventually get a thousand and then 10 and then a hundred thousand and then mm-hmm. a million. And so we just kept moving the number of the, the amount of people that were using the app we had built on a weekly basis. And, and it took like the first year we ended with 27 customers. And then the second year we got to like 150 and then the third year was 300 and the fourth year was a couple thousand and so mm-hmm. on. And we kept focusing on, on driving that number uh, again, working in the business yeah. while learning how to build software and learning how to design software and learning things like search engine optimization and, and PR and all these things that we had no clue how to do, but we were doing that on like nights and weekends while working in the business. And uh, I think if you're doing business correctly uh, or doing it well, you should evolve into a completely different person every three or four years. Yeah. And that's yeah. how it was unfolding for us. Like, like all three of my two co-founders and I are not the same people we were, you know, a decade ago. When Isn't we it crazy how that happens? Yeah. Like, you know, it's a good thing, you know, it's a, oh, it's, yeah. a, it's a really good thing because if you look at, well, if you just sat in a cubicle somewhere doing the same job for a decade, you know, you may even gone backwards, you know, whereas a business, the marketplace is going to require you to level up if you're going to succeed in it. And that's one of the cool things about starting your own company. I mean, I I love consistently educating myself and I I love doing interviews like this as well with guys like you, because it's like I I gain a little bit from from everybody I talk to. So it's kind of like I got my own uh, own little cheat code here. (laughs) But (laughs) I like that. I I want to talk about the fact that you had to sell this app twice. You have to sell it to the end user and a customer, but you also have to sell it to the uh, contractor and the service agencies that are uh, providing the service on the other side of that. What obstacles did you have actually getting contractors to come on board with your app? And how do you vet those guys and make sure they stand up to your standards? Yeah, you're right. It, uh, we have two customers. We have, we have the service providers that use it to make a living. Mm-hmm. And then we have consumers that use it to get this chore done. And we have to balance the wants and needs of both sides and add more value for both of them than, than they can in, in, the, in the analog uh, world. And mm-hmm. so it, trying to figure that out in the early days was just trial and error. Sometimes we would over-index on the contractor side and or over-index on the consumer side. And striking that balance was just one that took us a long time to figure out. We feel like we got it dialed in pretty good now. But in the early days, you know, it's like, what do you do? What do you, do you get the chicken or the egg? Do you, do you go after <laughs> consumers or do you go after contractors? And 
we, we, we figured out pretty quick that without a certain number of contractors on the platform ready and waiting to be hired and do a great job, we didn't have anything. So right. we knew we had to kind of get them first and maybe even hand crank that side for a while, then go after the consumers. And, and so that's what we did. We, we reached out to uh, where we, we launched in Nashville, Tennessee was our first market. And, mm-hmm. and we, we just, we reached out to every single lawn mowing service in the city, uh, mainly through Craigslist and Facebook and Yelp and pitched them on the idea of, of using this thing. And, mm-hmm. and at the time the product, had a lot of gaps. It was really, quite frankly, a piece of crap. It just didn't have the features <laughs> it needed. And well, so kind of, kind of the glue. In a minute. <laughs> yeah. And so kind of the glue was, uh, I would, I would personally consult with these, with these guys and gals and, and tell them, Hey, listen, I will give you free coaching on how to grow your lawn weight business because I just sold one. And they ah, kind of yeah. knew, they kind of mm-hmm. knew who I was because it was, you know, it's a small city and, yeah, yeah. and it's, 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 and everybody in the industry kind of knows each other. So they, they couldn't like, and many of them couldn't believe they were actually talking to me. I'm like, no, this is my new thing. And I will give you free coaching if you use my app to, uh, to, to, to do some transactions. And so yeah. that's how we got our first hundred contractors. And I personally knew the first 500 contractors that used the platform and would give them free coaching on a weekly basis on how to grow their business. And so then we could focus on the consumer side for like three years and get that nailed in and then come back to the contractor side to figure out a more self-serve option that they could onboard themselves, that they had all the features they needed and so on. So it was very much like a, uh, uh, like, do you start on the chicken or the egg? We kind of spoofed the chicken and, and, and focused on the egg and, and then, and then came back to the chicken. But you already uh, had, I mean, you already had years, at least 10 years of marketplace validation on that side of it. People knew you and they respected you and they trusted you on that. So yeah, because I still, I still want to know how you managed to build a freaking (laughs) eight figure tech company without the ability to do code. Was that just a yeah. lot of late? Was that a lot of late nights on on YouTube or what? How did that happen? It, it is exactly what it was, and 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 <laughs> and also uh, one one other kind of like dimension of difficulty is with no outside capital either. We did not raise any any outside money, which is pretty rare for tech companies like ours. You know, mm-hmm. we we have funded it off of its own own revenues, and and what got us through that was. We, we just, what else were we going to do? You know, it's, it's like, I, I you know, I, I had kind of had an idea of, I was going to work on my best idea. Right. Um, fortunately, I'm not terribly creative. I had one good <laughs> idea. I've had one good idea in the last decade and this is it. And Roll so, it. and so yeah. for, for me, from like a personal psychology standpoint, it, it, it was like, okay, well, I, I'm just going to work on this and I'm going to, I don't know how to do front end code, but I can take these JavaScript tutorials uh, nights and weekends and then, do, and then, and then apply what I'm learning on the project. So it was kind of like learn on the fly and, and, and learn by doing. And um, one thing that was really foundational to me at the time, I was reading a book called the seven habits of highly effective people mm-hmm. by Dr. Stephen Covey. And what he talks one chapter in that book, one of the habits is your, your circle of influence and in your circle of concern. And the circle of influence is everything you're worried about. Like it's, 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 it's okay. We, you know, we have no customers and uh, you know, what customers we do have hate us. And, and uh, this person's kicking our butt and so on. It's like, that, that's your circle of, of, of concern. And then you have your, your circle of influence, which is much, much, much smaller in the middle. And that's the little circle in which you can act in. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, well, what are the things I can do 
Yes. Today to, to, to move this forward. Well, I don't know how to code. Well, I could take eight basic HTML courses. Okay. Um, you know, we have 10 contractors. We need 20. Well, I can do a hundred cold calls on Craigslist. Uh, the 10 contractors we have, their profiles look like crap. Well, I can take better pictures of those mm-hmm. and I can call them and do a look, a little bio about their business. So they look better. It's very, very small things. Um, and as you do, as you act in that circle of influence, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And so then, so then you start to pick up some momentum. It begins to compound, but yes, but entrepreneurship yeah. is like a lot of times it's just doing a lot of little small things over and over again and that begin to grow and compound over time. Dude, that's exactly what it is. And when I'm faced with, with stuff like that and, and guys that, you know, I, I do some teaching and some consulting, I challenge them to change their mindset. When you've got that big circle of problems, <clears throat> we don't want to worry about that. And the, 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 the couple of words that I challenge them with is you want to change I cannot to how can I? Like, right. what can I positively affect? What is there exactly. that's within my control that I can reach out and touch to get rid of this? And if there's nothing, then, well, it can just sit over there in the, in the concerns pile and we'll deal with it later, you know? There's always some little small thing you can do to improve your station, improve, improve your situation. And a lot of times it's, it's, it's menial. And what mm-hmm. holds a lot of founders up is that, that they don't want to be seen at the bottom. They don't want to be either for their, either to themselves or to, or externally, they don't want to be perceived as being at the bottom. And mm-hmm. when you're starting a business, a lot of the things you're going to be doing are, are at the bottom type tasks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's, that's how it rolls, man. Yep. Yeah. But the, the guy at the bottom sometimes can be the strongest block in the foundation. Yeah. Yeah. And it's got to be the founders. Like that's where it all stems from. It does, man, man. And it's, you know, it's all hard work. You just get better at it. I, I find that the, the majority of massive, massive problems are just a pile of little problems that you can pull out one at a time and just, just figure them out and get them done uh, one at once, you know? The key is focus too. It's, it's, mm. it's, 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 it's literally like taking it down to one or two things and just doing those things and not worrying about anything else. And, uh, and, and it could be, you know, maybe it's, it's, maybe, maybe your, your business is just, is just in such shambles. Uh, and I've, and I have felt this uh, in my first company to where really you just need to focus on one piece of it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like, okay, well, well, we, we, we got like nine different problems going on. Well, let's just focus on one. And it's like, well, we don't have enough staff. Well, why don't we have enough staff? Well, because we're losing a lot of people. Well, why are we losing <laughs> a lot of people? Well, be, well, we should talk to those people, figure out why they're working for our competitors. And then we should also work on a training program to shrink the time, like from six months to three weeks to take to train somebody up so it's, a lot of times it's 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 just focusing on one piece of the business and making that better but it's amazing how many business owners never ask themselves that question or those questions what why on earth would this employee want to trade his time for for, for our money what is right. it that's motivating him and you know I think you and I, our our circles don't cross, which which is quite surprising, uh, because I think we've read a lot of the same books, and we're probably going to end up knowing a lot of the same people. But you you are saying things out right now that are resonating so hard with me, because they're problems I see in my clients, and they're they're problems I see in my listeners. If you don't have established core values, if you don't have an established mission, and most importantly, if you haven't asked the staff, your employees, what their goals are and where they want to go, why would you expect them to stay, man? Yeah, and and a lot of that too uh, could stem from your 
personal psychology as the founder, as, mm-hmm. as the manager, cause that, cause that, that your culture is going to reflect that. Oh, and yeah. you know, it, this, this hit me, you know, like if you're not enthusiastic about the business, why would you expect them to be? Mm-hmm. If you're not enthusiastic about what the mission is, why would you expect your people to be? And, and this hit me, you know, like uh, year seven of my first company, I was driving to the office and I had a pit in my stomach. I didn't want to go there. And, uh, <laughs> We've and all had that. We've all uh, had yeah, that. It was like, you know, a lot of the people that work there, I didn't really like uh, a lot, you know, a lot of the problems we had seemed like unsolvable. And, and uh, I was like, oh, I just don't want to go. I don't want to go in today. And then it hit me. It's like, well, you built this, you yeah. know, like, you know, and it's like one of the lessons I took out of that is as the founder, as the owner, as the manager, CEO, whatever, you get exactly the culture you deserve. You get exactly the vibe that you deserve because you built it. And yeah, so a yeah. lot of times it starts with you, you know, if you come in and you're disorganized and you look like crap and maybe, mm-hmm. you know, your shirt isn't tucked in and maybe your pants are wrinkled and, and, uh, and maybe you're frustrated. Well, then everybody else in the organization is going to reflect that. So a lot of this stuff starts with you as the founder, you better be enthusiastic. You better have your stuff together because that's yeah. going to permeate into the rest of the company. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, the company core values. Yeah, we sat down with the with the guys and and we worked on them. But essentially, they're my core values reflected through my company. And if you don't have those same core values as me, maybe you don't belong here. But That's like, right. if I want my employees to to care about things and to push their chairs in and to pick up their trash and to you know, that means my chair has to be pushed in. It means my hair hair That's has right. to be cut. It means my shirt has to be clean. It means my trash has to be picked up. I lead by example, and then that permeates through the business, dude. Like, That's right. But yeah, for- it's, it's values are, are important, but really you need to make the values virtues. Like these are the things yes. we do. If, yes. if our value is that if, if we have a value of empathy or whatever that means and we care about our customers, well, then when a customer is pissed off, and and you as the ceo see that something uh broke down in the in the system you jump in there and you make sure it's right you fix it that's a virtue uh that you're actually doing and that's how you 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 improve the culture improve the values of the business is look at them look at them as virtues and you don't have to have 10 maybe it's only two or three yeah you know real virtues that that we drive the business by um and make sure you're doing them and it's not just some things written on the wall somewhere yeah yeah, I mean, our biggest one is, is leave everything better than you found it. Yes. You know, and we, we try and we, we push that every single day uh, through the company. Man, I want to get us back over, though, to Green Pal real quick. Um, and, yeah, I don't want to fanboy. Uh, I, I have never met you. You're not in any of my circles, but I'm thoroughly enjoying this interview, man. You're, you're hitting some, <laughs> Me too. You're hitting I'm some having a ball. So, some of them are a little harder. I got I to gotta coax answers out, but I, I can definitely tell you've been on some interviews, man. This is I'm having a, 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 a tremendous time. Green I appreciate pal. that. Green pal, dude. Um, tell me, what's the biggest challenge you're trying to get through right now? And where do you see the future of this company going? Because, man, I look at it and I think, this guy is a disruptor. I think this this guy is going to make it. I think this is something that could really catch on in a lot of markets. Well, you know, I appreciate that. You know, we're 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 nationwide in the United States now. We're in every major city. We want to be in Canada, UK, and Australia at some point. Um, you know, every day, like the Jeff Bezos quote, every day still feels like day one, though. Mm. You know, it, it, it. I mean, you were doing we're profitable. Got a team of like forty seven people and. 
but it still feels like, man, we have so much further to go. And we're doing almost 30 million a year in revenue, but we got to get it to nine figures. We got to get it to 100 million. And so it's, 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 it's like, what are the things we're going to have to do to get from here to there? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, like going back to the video game metaphor, it's yes. like every level is a new dragon. It's a new boss. Mm-hmm. And it takes time to figure that level out. It takes time to, f- to do the things you got to do to get through that level. And, and you really don't even worry about anything else until you can get through that level. Yeah. Yeah. And so every business has kind of like three phases the, the startup, which is, you know, you're trying to figure out if you're solving a problem that people will pay, pay for. And then mm-hmm. the grow up, maybe that's like 100K in revenue to a million or 5 million. And then the scale up, which yep. is like 5, 10 million to 100 million. We're somewhere between grow up and scale up. And, uh, and, and I've never done the scale up piece and I may find that I suck at that. And so, <laughs> so at which, at which point we'll put a professional CEO in there or, or sell the business or something, but I'm having fun, you know, running the company and, and I'm going to keep doing it as long as I'm having fun. I, I don't blame you, man. I was going to ask you, what is it that motivates you to get up in the morning and go to work and keep going? But is it just the fact that it's fun now? Yeah, it's a lot of fun here. And here's something that motivates me and unlock that's a lot of fun is, is when I'm able to make a really good hire and mm-hmm. bring somebody on the team who's just really good at one thing that I know a little bit about, but I'm mm-hmm. not really great at, and they can just focus on it. And so uh, that could be somebody who maybe data analytics, or it could be somebody good at, at uh, behavioral economics, or somebody that's good at A-B testing, or somebody that's good at SEO and you know, I know, I know a little bit about these mm-hmm. things, but I, when I'm able to bring on like a real pro mm-hmm. that just focuses on that discipline and then a week or a month or three months goes by and we start to see movement in the business because of the things that they're excelling yeah. at, that's a lot of fun. Oh, and, uh, and, I, and I really enjoy that. That's one of the, the funner things at this level of the game. Maybe if there's 10 levels, I might be at level six. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's a level six thing. That's a lot of fun. Dude, getting, to, getting to watch them grow. Now, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm definitely a couple of levels behind you. Um, but when I first started out, I did everything. Like, yeah. so I have, a, I have a real estate company and I have a media company. The reason I have a media company is because I'm making so much media for real estate. I ended up selling media too. But at first it was just me. So yeah. I can say with, with great confidence that I, I'm good at just about everything we do, but I don't really sell real estate anymore and I don't really make media anymore because I took the time now and I made that jump and I, I man, you, yeah, you go in the red for a minute till you figure it out, but I have people that are great in positions that I only used to be good at. Yeah, um, it's it, really hard to delegate any of this stuff unless you've yes. done some of it yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and that's why I had to learn how to code. I had to learn how to build software because how the hell am I going to lead a team mm-hmm. of five or 10 or 20 engineers when I don't even have the first like sense of what it is they're doing. And, and so it's, it's uh, back to the, the book, seven habits. Yeah. Uh, there's a chapter on delegation and there's delegation by way of abjuration, which is, I don't know how to do this. It scares me. You handle it. And that's a recipe for disaster. What you really want is a delegation by stewardship, which is here's how we do it here. Here's why we want it done this way. Here's how long we should expect it to take. Here's how we're going to grade the quality of it when, when you get it back to us. And here's what we want it back by. And that's stewardship delegation. And, that, mm-hmm. and that's how you can delegate with success. But it's really hard to delegate from a stewardship standpoint if you don't know, you know, the 80-20 of whatever it is. Yeah. yeah I've had to learn yeah, that yeah. the hard way. Dude, you can learn you can learn the 80 real quick though i mean <laughs> yeah 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 if you're if you and, and that's one thing about business is like i never in a million years 
would have picked up a book on psychology. Uh, but I spent six months learning everything I could about user psychology and behavioral economics to figure out how we could bake some of that into our product design. I never would a million years would have picked up a book on that. And yeah, so I love books. business is going <laughs> to force you yeah. to seek these, these things out and, and, and seek this knowledge out. Well, if you think about a book, dude, most people that write books only write a few of them. So if you think about that, they're taking all of the knowledge that they've gained yep. over 10 or 20 years and putting it in something and selling it to you for 15 bucks. Isn't that amazing? Like, and, it's and, like, I love books. They're like the and a lot, of times you, <laughs> a lot of times you can get that book used on eBay for like $3. Well, yeah. I mean, what an amazing, <laughs> what an amazing value exchange. You get Isn't it? somebody's lifetime body of work of knowledge in 200 pages for like $4. This I know. is amazing. Like the books are so underrated. And um, I, I try, I, I, I don't always make it, but I try to get at least 20 to 30 minutes of reading every day. And um, got to, and you know, I, uh, I've been, been looking at the, the limitless by Jim quick. I've been reading that about the brain and how it works. And then I've been looking at some uh, neuro-linguistic programming books uh, on self-help that I find absolutely fascinating. So before we get too far away, uh, what's a good book you've dug into here recently, man? Give us something you've uh, you've uh, I'm reading a book called right now the score takes care of itself and and I've actually got the book over here and so the score takes care of itself and it is by the uh, the dude who was the head coach of the 49ers in the early 80s and they went from being the worst team like like one in like two and ten mm -hmm. uh, to winning the Super Bowl the following year. And the book is about how the coach came in, revamped the organization. And I'm only like like 50 pages in, but but what the book is about is managing the processes and the standard of excellence within the organization. Like you know, when he went when he took over the 49ers, he, you know, he would everybody from the quarterback down to the groundskeeper, he would he would manage with with intensity to a standard of excellence. And his theory was is that if you take care of these small things, mm -hmm. that that the score takes care of itself on Sunday. And uh, so far, it's a really good book, so I recommend it. Amen, man. Everything is is breaks down to small replicable habits that you do over and over and over and over. Um, yeah, and, and one of the main points I think, it, and he's trying to make in the book is that one of the one of the things of the, as the founder and CEO, your job is to set the, the quality standard. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's one of the high lever points that you have is you set that standard everybody has to has to strive towards, because human nature is to be mediocre. It's to slow down to a glacier speed. It's to it's to it, that, but it's just the way we're wired. And as the CEO, it's your job yeah. to set that quality standard. Well, the problem with comfort zones, Brian, is that they're very comfortable. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I've been guilty of that. When I when I sold my first business, I got too comfy, and I realized that, and I like I need to ruin all this and start another business. <laughs> well, yeah, but like when I'm and, and I'm guilty of this because uh, as a business owner, you know, you hit certain plateaus and you hit your goals for the year in August and you're like, well, I can just take my foot off a little bit. And you, you wonder why you, you start to stagnate. It's because things are comfortable. I, I get much more done when I'm dancing on the edge. <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> and, a lot and more it's, fun. it's just a fundamental of, I think the universe It's like you, you really like, you know, even if it's just like a stream in the woods, if that thing is like dammed up, by some beavers or whatever and it's yeah. not moving it starts to stink and trash mm -hmm. collects there and like it's not you wouldn't hang out by this, this, this spot but, it, when, exactly but when, right. when, yeah. when the stream is flowing it's a beautiful thing to hang around and so i think life is kind of like that when you stop moving 
man, you get rusty and, and jammed up real quick. That's just been my experience. You know, I like that. I'm ready for that. But I think I, I want that when I'm about 75 to 80. Yeah. I'll, I'll stop. I'll, I'll yeah. jam up. I'll go rusty and I'll quit. But, like, yeah. I'm having too much fun. And I find, I find, Brian, the more I do, the more I lead from the front, the more people follow me. And yeah. the more my employees want to do, and I don't, I don't even call them employees. Um, they, they all work with me. We're all on the That's same right. mission together. We're all doing this together. We're sharing life together and, and spending life together. Um, and that really surprised me. I came from a business background of managing by authority. Like, I, um, you know, it was, I started out in the in the air cadets, and when the sergeant yelled something at you, you did what the sergeant yelled. So one of the biggest surprises to me was by leading through empathy and leading by example, uh, I got much better results. Was there something that you've come across in your latest venture that took you by surprise and maybe gave you a result you weren't expecting? Yeah, you 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 have to really you have to care about where they're trying to get in life and how you help them get there. You know, mm-hmm. in my first business, one thing that we did that really worked um, when, when the culture sucked and I was trying to turn everything around, I implemented a little program where on a quarterly basis, we would take proposals from team members and, mm-hmm. and they would, and about things they were trying to do in their life. It could be send a kid through college, buy a new house, buy a new car, whatever. And then we would give uh, interest-free loans for whatever that thing oh, was. Wow. We would, we, we would pick one. And uh, we had a little committee and it was a lot of fun. And we, you know, we had a hundred and some odd people and, and then, and then, and then we would follow back up and we would celebrate, you know, how are things going with your kid in school or, or one guy built a little, uh, he was from uh, Guatemala and he built a little market back home and with the money that we loaned him. And we never, we never had one of these loans default. Every one of them paid back interest-free and uh, it made the place a fun place to work. And also it realigned who we were and what we were trying to do. It's like when the company wins, we all win. Yeah. And, and when the company does, and so it's like, we didn't have to, we didn't have, suddenly we didn't have these quality issues with, mm-hmm. with respect to service that we were doing for our clientele anymore. And, yeah. and, and attitudes improved and it took like a year, but uh, <laughs> if you can try to figure out where people are trying to get in their life yes, and where the company fits in that and help them get there, then, then it becomes more than the job. It, it becomes more of a, it becomes less of a transaction. Mm-hmm. And I think if you're around five, 10, all the way up to maybe a hundred people, you can do this on a personal level as the founder. Yeah. That's been my experience. And that's what makes you uh, more competitive than, than bigger companies that are working a thousand, 10,000 people. Well, it, it absolutely shocked me when I tried this in, in my company. And I took, um, I, everybody did it, but then I sat down on my leadership team and there's, there's just a couple of them and i said right guys we put a dollar value on everything they were trying to achieve and i made them give me their monthly dollar value and then i give them the sales numbers we had to fit if we hit these sales numbers you can have everything on that list every single month that you work here and it just lit a fire because not only did i allow them to dream i showed them exactly how they could hit that dream just using the, right. the company we already had and um man, i think it's both I think you got to manage by metrics and you got to manage by empathy. Mm-hmm. A lot of times people want to say it's, or, you know, we're a hard driving metrics based cold business. Now you've got to have some of that in there. We've, we've still got to have or, some accountability to numbers. It's you and know? you yes. need to have both. Yes. You need to have both. It's not one or the other. It's both. Yeah. I completely agree, man. Like, 
All right, I won't keep you a whole a whole lot longer. I do have a couple more questions to ask you, Brian. Um, you know, you look like a very structured man. Our stuff was all done by calendar. We're on time every time, you know. And I want to ask you what your favorite productivity hack for staying on time and uh, keeping everything together is because uh, you operate at a level that a lot of my listeners look up to. A productivity hack that I have because I'm not the most motivated, disciplined dude, uh, but I, but I want, I want, I expect great things from my yeah. company and myself. And and so a productivity hack that I have is, is something that I call tripwires okay. that I, that I lay out in front of me in, in, in what I'm doing. So for example, I hate spreadsheets, mm. hate, hate looking at them. I hate the numbers in them. I don't like looking, I don't like crunching data. Uh, but, but uh, I, I, and I, and I, and I naturally like, the gravitate to away from that towards something like product design or writing a piece of content or doing an interview like this. I love that stuff. Hey, yeah. analyzing data. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just hired a data analyst that makes $375 an hour. And I have a meeting with him every Monday at 10 o'clock. And so I know when it comes time to, to, to look at the data and letting the data speak that I need to be prepared for that meeting. And so I need to, I need to stare at the raw numbers and I need to ask hey, for SQL queries and things that yeah. make sense. And, and I need to like be prepared for that meeting. So it's, it's a tripwire every Monday that if I don't do the things I need to do, I just pissed away, you know, maybe a thousand bucks. And, and so that's just a small example of something, something in my personal life. Uh, you know, I'm trying to, to learn how to, uh, learning Muay Thai boxing. And so uh, I, I yeah. purposely went out and hired the best coach in the city that I live in. He makes $175 an hour and I meet him twice a week. And I know I better bring it for that, that period of time. It's a tripwire that I'm forced to be there. I'm forced to, to bring my A game. And over time, it's like amazing at the progress I've made. If I didn't have those like little tripwires, yeah, I wouldn't, yeah. I would have done either of those things. And so there's dozens of those that I put in my life. And it's not all about money. A lot of times it is because money hurts if, if you waste yeah, well, it. Well, yeah, but so does getting smacked in the face if you don't practice Muay Thai. <laughs> <laughs> that's, right, that's right. That's right. So these are little things that I do that force me to stay on track, force me to stay disciplined, force me to stay productive, that work for me mm-hmm. because I'm not just naturally going to like do these things on my own unless, unless I trip over something. Yeah, so you're adding a little bit of a consequence uh, to right. making sure the action gets completed. Like, right. um, you know, I've got accountability buddies where if we don't do something, we got to send a thousand bucks to charity. Like, and as much I as that. I like giving a charity, I, I don't like losing uh, to uh, my buddies. Uh, so, you know, I love that. I love yeah. that. But it's the same thing. It's like, uh, yeah, how do you stay accountable to your goals at this level is you make it a little bit of a financial pinch if, uh, if you don't show up and you don't follow through. Dude, yeah. I like that. Man. I don't want this interview to end, dude. I feel like I could talk to you for a week. Um, but unfortunately, unfortunately, we're coming up on time. So I've got two more questions for you, buddy. Um, number one, uh, this is a, a, a one I try to ask all of my guests. Um, what's one piece of advice that you would turn around right now and tell to 25-year-old Brian that's just now starting to come up and get his feet under him? Uh, yeah many things but one that I, I think that that my younger self could have learned better and anybody who is young is to understand like the value of compound interest mm. and when you're first starting from scratch man it seems tough and it just seems like 
it just seems like, man, this is never going to be anything. But as you extrapolate it out to three, five, 10 years, and, and, you, and you're compounding whatever that, that number is, it could be saving, investing, growing your business. Those small numbers get to be big so long as you're driving them forward. And so, and so I would really try to get my younger self to understand that, you know, if you can double this up three more times, then you'll have something. And um, one of my a book that I read in the last couple of years is, is the snowball, which is the uh, biography of Warren Buffett. And that's really all that book is about is about compounding and, and the little things that he did, you know, he, he became one of the richest men in the world. It all started with a $5,000 investment that, that he, and, you know, and, and it, the book just really just shows you through story what compounding looks like. And, and a Warren Buffett quote uh, was that, you know, he's like, I, I don't look at a hundred dollars, like a hundred dollars. I look at a hundred dollars, like it's a thousand dollars because that's what it will become. Mm-hmm. And if you can look at that, you know, if you can apply that kind of philosophy to your personal life, you know, and, and your business life, you know, in five, 10 years, you could be on a totally different planet than where you are today. And so really trying to understand that at a younger age would have helped me. Oh, I would have helped me too. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, anybody listening to this in your early 20s, anybody listening, anytime in life, especially in your early 20s, start compounding now. Yes. Because it, 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 gets, it gets bigger. Yes. And pay attention to old guys too. <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> yes. like, I wasn't ready for these lessons when I was 25. Uh, I would have just known better anyway. <laughs> Uh, I promise you it'll be worth it. (laughs) Brian, my man, it has been an absolute pleasure getting to know you. Um, Where can my listeners find you on social media and follow along with what you're doing and uh, even check out the Green Pal app for themselves? Yeah. Anybody listening to this doesn't want to waste time mowing your own yard. Just download Green Pal in the App Store or Play Store. Uh, Anybody wants to hit me up, uh, you can check me out on Instagram, Brian M. Clayton. Just drop me a follow and a DM there. I'll hit you back. Dude, we got it. I will put those in the show notes. Brian, dude, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to uh, to talk to my listeners. I've super, super enjoyed having you on, and I hope that you and I get to have a, a continuing friendship in the future. So thank you for coming on. Right on, Samuel. Thanks for having me on. I had a ball. All right, guys, that was Brian Clayton with uh, Green Pal, the lawn care app. Do me a favor, run over to his socials, give him a follow. And uh, if you got anything out of this show at all, if it made you laugh, if it made you cry, if it made you think, uh, run over to iTunes, leave us a review. And uh, as always, be good, stay safe, and we'll catch you on Friday for this week's Friday Fire. All right, have a great week. This has been the Small Business Surgeon Podcast. If you've made it this far, you clearly like it. So go on iTunes and leave us a five-star review. This helps people find the show and spread the good word. Share with friends and follow us at Small Business Surgeon on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you for your follow-up next week. The Small Business Surgeon was recorded at Texas Media Foundry in historic downtown Bryan, Texas. Check them out at TXFoundry.com or on social media at TXFoundry. Thanks for tuning in.